Father, we thank you for these moments. Uh, moments set aside in the rhythm of our week and in the rhythm of our gathered worship to prioritize your voice, to listen for you to speak. We thank you, Jesus, that you taught and taught authoritatively in a way that has been preserved for us by the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you were a truth teller, bold and clear, willing even to say the hard things to us. And so this morning, as we pause and we prioritize your voice, would you give us courage energy, faithfulness to eagerly receive your word, to let it challenge us. This is a sobering word, Jesus, that you are speaking to us today, and I pray that even now you would anoint me for this work, that my weak and impotent words would carry the truth and the power of who you are. And that we as a people would be willing to receive your warning, um, this sobering word that there are two ways, and we want to be the sorts of people that hear you clearly and understand what it is to, to not miss this fork in the road, but to walk on the path of life. Teach us. You're welcome in this place. We bless you. We pray it in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This... This summer, my two older boys and I got to have quite an experience on ultimate terrain vehicles in, in and around Zion National Park. This was the machine that we were driving. Um, that thing goes 90 miles an hour. And uh, my, this is where my boys were getting introduced to it. They were pretty excited. We did a lot of off-roading. We had a guide named Vern uh, the first time I really wanted to have a mustache uh, was knowing Vern. Vern was pretty tough and had this beautiful floppy mustache and led us into the wilderness. My boys thought he was the coolest. Um, it was a wild adventure. Uh, they, they introduced us to these machines. They gave us a few notes. They said, here's how you turn it on. Uh, it is far more powerful than you can handle, so be careful. Uh, they said, if it flips, keep your arms inside because it'll rip them clean off. Everybody ready? And uh, they fired them up, and they, that, literally, that was my training on how to manage this thing. And so we took off into the wilderness, and we would go through these wild back paths out in the, in the back country, and you would come to these forks in the road, and they had a flagging system where whoever was behind Vern, he would stop and say, you stand right here, and you flag and make sure that everyone goes this way and not that way. This way and not that way. And you did that all day long as we're traveling hundreds of miles through the backcountry. Because when you're in a machine that can go 90 miles an hour and can go over any sort of terrain, if you miss a flagger in the backcountry where there are no cell service, there's no walkie-talkies, Vern doesn't know when he's going to find you. you know? And so it was a very crucial at every fork in the road. That way, not this way. And there was one point on day three where someone missed the flagger and they took off down the road and we saw Vern with his mustache. He all of a sudden said, everybody stop, stay right here. And he spun out in his vehicle and took off because he knew if I don't find them quickly, there may be no finding them. Like if you miss the flagger, this is dangerous. 
And the truth is that in, as we've been on this journey with the Sermon on the Mount, we're calling it I See Things Upside Down because Jesus and his most famous sermon, the most famous sermon of all time, is helping people to see the world through a kingdom lens, to realize that if we start to see with the eyes of eternity, everything that we thought was right and true and good is actually inverted. He's calling us to see everything upside down, and he has painted this picture. And in many ways, last week, we came to the conclusion of the content of the Sermon on the Mount. By the time that Jesus gets to what we know as the golden rule, whatever you wish others would do to you, do to them, this is kind of the climax of the content of the Sermon on the Mount. And then from that point forward, he's not introducing new content. He's summarizing. In a sense, what he is doing is he's flagging. He is pulling over the vehicle and he's painted the picture of the kingdom path. He goes, here's what it looks like to be on the kingdom road and experience all that God has for you. And he's pulling over and he's picking up his flag and he starts wildly waving it, going this way, this way. And we get it this week and we'll get it again next week as we come to the conclusion because at the, at the end of this sermon, what Jesus is doing, he's talking about two things over and over. He says there's two paths, there's two kinds of prophets, there's two types of pilgrims. There's two types of houses we'll hear next week with different foundations and one's going to stand and one's going to fall. He is just saying, okay, you've heard all the information. Now listen, this way, this way, go towards life. And this morning, as he is going to wave to flag us in the direction of our freedom and our fullness in our life, it is going to be a sobering call. Jesus loves people enough to say hard things to them. And he is deeply committed to those that have been listening that they would not miss this turn because Jesus' kingdom being introduced in this world is a fork in the road and he doesn't want you to miss it. And he's going to give us in, in today's teaching three different images, three different ways to make sure that you don't miss the fork in the road. And so that's what I want us to explore together. These three pictures that if we can understand what it is that Jesus is getting at, he's equipping us to make sure that we are the sorts of people that don't miss the kingdom fork in the road. You with me? So the first picture, he's going to paint two paths. He's going to show us these two paths. And the first reality is this. If you are going to be the sort of person that doesn't miss the kingdom fork in the road, he's going to invite you to pursue the difficult path to pursue the difficult path. Let's see if we can see this together in verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Do you feel the, the sobering tone as Jesus begins to flag at the end of his sermon. The, he paints a picture first of a, of a dangerous path, one that's destructive, but it's, it's actually an easy path, as it were. Did you see the notes, the words that he uses to describe this first path, this easy path? They're all really good words. Like if you're just reading slowly, it's, it's, it's wide and it's easy. And there's many who enter by it. The only downside with this path is its destination, which is destruction. 
So all the words are really enticing and lovely and wonderful. It's wide and it's easy and there's lots of people on it. You're going to be in you're going to have solid company. There's all sorts of people on this wide, easy road. The only problem is the destination, which incidentally, I hope we recognize that if the path we're on leads to destruction, no matter what it looks like or feels like, it's, it's a dangerous and a devastating path. But here he is, he's explaining it, saying it's, it's easy, it's broad, there's many on it. And in, in Jesus' own way, what he's ultimately showing is that over and over again, what seems enticing and what seems easy is actually a threat to our flourishing. He's inviting us to, to pursue the difficult path because he's actually, this, this is not new information. This is actually what he's been preaching all the way throughout, right? If you'll just let your mind roll back over with me, if you've been around over the last several months as we've studied this text together. Jesus has introduced all these different topics and on each topic, there's a way that just makes sense to us. Our own understanding would lead us into it. Anger. If someone crosses you or mistreats you or is an enemy to you, you need to fight back. You need to, you can't get run over. You've got to be strong and you've got to carve out your way. That's easy. That comes naturally. That's, and he's going, yeah, beware. That's a, that's a dangerous road. Your money. Well, money is a good thing that you need to make and accumulate and it'll make your life easy and you can store up more and more for yourself. That's easy. You're going to listen to songs sung to you about that on the radio and you'll watch television shows that herald the benefits of this and, and you're enticed to think that this is human flourishing. It is a broad, easy way and there's many that are on it. Or as it relates to your marriage, the common word of the day is, well, if it's hard, if it doesn't fulfill you, if it's not the person that you married, you look at them and you go, you're not who I married and you don't make me happy anymore. Jesus has already taught that the way of the world would say, well, it's easy, just write a certificate of divorce and move on. That's an easy, broad way, and many are on it. You see, over and over and over again, Jesus has been teaching this, and now he's just pulling over to the side of the road and picking up his flag and going, listen, have you caught the idea yet? There is a way that seems natural to you. Whatever it is that you encounter in the world, the world has a, a way of approaching it and it's broad and easy and everybody agrees this is the way this works. And Jesus is saying, beware. All of the words are enticing and positive, but the destination is devastating. It leads to destruction. Driving without an awareness of the destination, my boys and I learned this summer, is dangerous territory. The reason Vern was so urgent was because he knew that if we weren't paying attention to the destination, however wonderful this path is, we could very quickly be careening off of it to our own demise. You see, so he, he paints this picture of, the, of one way, and then he paints a picture of another, and he gives the words that describe the difficult path. Did you see those words? Did you see how they're, they're juxtaposed against the other? He says it's a narrow gate rather than the wide gate. He says that it's the way is hard rather than easy, that it leads to life rather than destruction, that those who find it rather than those who enter. So he's saying it requires that you seek it out, you look beyond what just meets you in the eye. It actually requires finding. This is why I said we have to pursue this difficult path. We're looking for it. He says those who find it are few, few versus many. He's painting a picture, picture of a very different reality. And the truth is that when we peer through this path, it looks so constricting. The emphasis is on the narrowness of it. The old translations, the old English translations used to say straight 
is the gate. And by straight, it didn't mean like not crooked. It meant like constricting, like it hems you in. And he says, from the outside looking in, as Jesus is painting the picture of these two paths, one looks so broad and one easy, and one looks really narrow, like it's going to constrain me. Like I'm going to forfeit some of my freedom in order to be a part of it. And we might look through that gate and we see the way that it leads to it. We go, that looks like a difficult path. He's going, listen, it looks one way, but it actually leads to life. It reminds me of the last of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia books. There's this moment where there's this little bitty stable and they're all looking at it and uh, a lot of details. I'll just say this. The thought is that if I get pushed into that stable, I'm going to die. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be the end of me. And they're looking at this little rundown stable, and then one of the characters finally crosses the threshold, and when walks into this little rundown stable, starts to look around, and it's actually broad. The sky is wide open, and there's mountains and trees. And he's looking back at the door that he came in, and looking around and going, ah, what from the outside looked so small, from the inside is so expansive. And there's this, there's this sense in which we, we survey this gate, and it's, it's true, it's narrow. To come to Jesus means you don't come with your family. You're, you're not in because your parents were in, or your grandparents were in, or your siblings are in. Jesus is going, no, it's, it's you coming to me and understanding that through this gate that, that I am the keeper of, this is the path to life, and it looks constraining because it is. It's kind of like a wedding day. My wife is a wedding coordinator and last night she was doing a wedding and my son and I were at a football game she's sending me text updates and she gets to be the one that opens the door at the beginning and end of the wedding and so she sent me a picture of when she opened the doors and the couple's coming out she's like got another one married you know and I got the picture of this smiling couple and when they journey down it's as easy as saying I do it's actually pretty simple what's required of that couple in that moment they look at someone that they love and they know loves them, there's relational context in history and they look at one another and they pledge their lives to one another. They say, I do, which is pretty simple. It's like entering through a gate. It's a simple act. But in saying I do, it's also a very narrow act because I say I do to you and I say I don't to the billions of others on the planet. I'm limiting myself here to you. And then they walk out together, and the path is one that's marked by love and joy. But listen, it's one that's marked by dying to themselves every day, over and over and over again, so that they might experience the miracle that God has worked. Do you see that it is a narrow gate that leads to a difficult path, but that path is leading to greater and greater flourishing because it's marked by mutual commitment and love and safety. What Jesus is saying is the path that leads to life is kind of like that. It requires the narrowness of you coming directly to Jesus and being able to say, I do. And then being able to walk the difficult path of daily considering someone else as over all of your decisions in life. We have to enter personally by this gate and walk this way that he's saying here are the two paths one that is constricting and narrow but once from the inside out we go ah look at how expansive the love of God is from the inside out so he paints this picture there's a broad and easy way that leads to your destruction there's a narrow gate that leads to a hard way that leads to your life 
and you're flourishing. The first thing that we have to be willing to do if we're not going to miss the kingdom fork in the road is to pursue the difficult path, to seek it out, to pay attention to what does it look like to enter through that narrow gate and stay on that hard way. The second thing is this. We don't just pursue the difficult path, but we, we avoid the deceptive prophets. We avoid the deceptive prophets. In verses 15 through 20, Jesus is going to direct his attention to other people that position themselves out at the fork in the road. They also have a flag. They also have a message. And so quite frankly, verses 15 through 20 has more bearing on the souls of people that do things like what I'm doing now than maybe your calling in life. I Meaning he, he's actually addressing spiritual authority. So I just want to note this as we're about to work these verses together that I, I preach this with like trepidation because this is about your leaders and are they qualified to have a voice of authority in your life? I'm going to give you tools to pay attention to who has a voice in your life and should they or shouldn't they. And these tools apply to me and the elders of this church. At the point at which you apply this and it's not true of us, you need to be on guard. So I want us to pay attention. I, I preach this with trepidation as I, as I am on the chopping block from verses 15 through 20. Look with me, it says this. Beware of false prophets. In the Greek, pseudo-prophetes. It's they position themselves as those who speak authoritatively for God over the people. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. I think Jesus is trying to make a point. Maybe you heard it there. He uses the word fruit seven times in these verses as he's beginning to paint a picture of the sorts of people that speak authoritatively over our lives. And there's a few things that we're going to be able to note about what are, what are the marks that you need to be aware of for a deceptive prophet that will skew for you what the path of life actually looks like. There's a few things. First, how they appear. They appear to be trustworthy. They look like sheep. They hold a Bible. They use Christian lingo. They might even have like a nice festive green sweater. You know what I mean? Like they look like, yeah, that guy that looks like a pastor. I should probably be able to trust them. He's painting a picture of, yeah, they wear all, the, they, they've got, the, yeah, they look the part. And so what Jesus is talking about is not someone from, from distant to the kingdom of God that is hurling insults at the kingdom of God. It's someone from within, seemingly, that looks the part and even uses some of the right lingo and talks in such a way. But the question arises, well, what is it that they have to say? What is it that the pseudo-prophetes are speaking as though it's authoritative in the life of God's people? And we get a little bit of it here. We get some hints of it here in the fact that they are ravenous wolves, which means greedy. That word is often used throughout the New Testament having to do with a love of money or greed that they never satisfied hungering for more. If you were to zoom out in the rest of the scriptures and ask what do we learn about 
pseudo-prophets, we would say that, one, they only like to say the things that people want to hear. So in Jeremiah 14, Jeremiah 23, it's the pseudo-prophetes that keeps saying, peace, peace, everything's going to be fine. God doesn't hold you to a standard. You don't have to repent and lay down your life. The whole of your bank account or your sexuality or your history or your life hasn't actually been purchased by the blood of Jesus and it's, it's, it's still under your ownership and you can do with it as you please. You see, a, a false prophet is always paying attention to which way are the winds blowing and what are people going to want to hear and they realize that if I keep feeding them what they want to hear with the right amount of humor and it kind of tickles their ears in the right ways that I can build a nice little platform I can be rich to myself. This could really, this could be a pretty good gig. This could benefit me a great deal. I don't think false prophets set out to be false prophets. I think all of a sudden they realize that over and over and over there's really difficult decisions to be made. Am I really going to say this thing that Jesus says? Am I really going to teach the whole of the biblical counsel? Am I really going to speak in alignment with what the Spirit of God is naming in this moment? Or do I want, as Jesus says in Luke 6 about the false prophets, everyone to speak well of me? For me never to feel like I'm challenging or stepping on toes. The truth is, this is dangerous and slippery territory. This territory, speaking while people sit and listen, and it can be really intoxicating. You might start to think, well, yes, I I do want to have this authority. And all of a sudden, when you start, you see a false prophet says lots of true things. The struggle is there's lots of other true things that they don't say because those will get them into trouble. And a false prophet isn't interested in being in trouble. They're interested in being a ravenous wolf, feeding more and more. And then the last thing is true is that you get fruit seven times. He's going, hey, a, a, a healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. And he's going, pay attention to the fruit of their lives. This is how you will recognize them. Because when a false prophet starts to distance themselves from the truth, speaking only the things that are beneficial, then all of a sudden their lives start to separate from Jesus. They start to, they start to look less and less like him. It's not just what they say, but it's how they say it. Because it gets to marked more and more by the flesh and less and less by the spirit. It's not love and joy and peace and patience that's oozing out of them, but now it's power and a desire for more because I am enticed by... You you feel it? So where this happens, what are you supposed to do? Jesus gives one word of command as it relates to the deceptive prophets. He said, here's two paths, and now here's two prophets. And when you see someone who's speaking on behalf of God in this way, beware is the word. It means avoid. It means watch out. Be on guard. And so listen to me. Listen to me. While I am in my right mind and I believe in alignment with the Spirit of God by His grace, let me say this to you. It doesn't mean that someday I won't be there. I beg God for His mercy that I never will, but if I do, if my doctrine starts to separate from the text and my life starts to separate from the character of Jesus, beware of me. Beware of our elders. If we start to hedge on biblical truth and we start to position ourselves in such a way where it feeds us and we're benefiting off of the body, or if you land in some other church and you see this going on, listen, the path of life and the path of destruction are so critical for your soul. You have to be 
on guard about who has authority over your life, who's speaking consistently and authoritatively over you. And so Jesus is saying, how do you make sure you don't miss the fork in the road? Well, pursue the difficult path. Don't just always go for ease and comfort and the lowest common denominator and what everybody says, oh yeah, that makes sense. Don't lean on your own understanding. Secondly, beware of deceptive prophets. Be, be on guard about who has authority to speak in this way. Lastly, when these two things become the case, we become devoted pilgrims, the text says. The difficult path and the deceptive prophets, when made sense of, allow us to become the devoted pilgrims of verses 21 through 23. Look with me at those verses. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's just pause for a second. Where did Jesus' Sermon on the Mount start? Anybody remember this? This was a long time ago. When we were in the Beatitudes, he starts by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Right? Jesus is a good preacher. What he starts with, he finishes with. He's been building this case. He's been, as it were, he started by saying, here's how you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he has spent all of this time in the Sermon on the Mount helping his disciples understand how to get into heaven and equally importantly, how to get heaven into his disciples. This has been the journey. And now he's wrapping it up and he comes back to where he started. And he says, okay, so this is the deal. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So he says, but the one who does the will of my Father will. Verse 22, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Two types of pilgrims. The first are the deceived pilgrims. And did you hear them? They call Jesus Lord, Lord. When something is doubled in the text, it means there's emotion, commitment, zeal. They're orthodoxed. Jesus is Lord, Lord. They're zealous. We prophesy, did you hear? In my name, in my name, in my name. Three different times they claim that they are operating in Jesus' name. They cast out demons and they do mighty works and they teach in his name. They are prophesying in his name. These are people that are zealous for Jesus and have a really stunning religious resume. But Jesus says they are workers of lawlessness and he says, I never knew you. They're, lot, they're so committed and they're all about it, but as far as daily obedience and response to a relationship with Jesus, they don't know anything about that. Deceived pilgrims. Devoted pilgrims, he says, they do the will of my Father in heaven. It's simple daily obedience because they are known by Jesus. They are, they are relationally connected to him. So this is what I need you to feel the weight of. This is why the word from Jesus is so sobering on a Sunday morning and a gathering of worship. The path that leads to life and the path that leads to destruction is not the path of the religious that prays and gives their money and does everything morally and the path of the irreligious that doesn't get up and come to church and doesn't do the Christian things. That's not the two paths. Did you hear it? Did you hear that? I mean, the the people that Jesus is dismissing, they're very religious. They're very, the two paths are not the religious and the irreligious. It's those who are impoverished of spirit that are bankrupt of soul and know they can't save themselves and those who can manage it. I'm pretty good and I can handle it. Thank you. 
Because quite frankly, this path is wide and broad, broad enough for the religious and the irreligious. There's a lot of people that are praying and giving their money and coming to worship and doing the thing because they're basically good and this is just one more evidence of their goodness. I am acceptable to God, look at my life. And there's a whole host of people that don't want anything to do with God because they're smarter than him and smarter than his ways and they're all actually on the exact same path. The path that says, I can do it myself, thank you. And Jesus is saying, this is the narrow way, the way that says, I am bankrupt of soul. One of the ways that you know you're born again is that you know how desperate you are before God. Like even your good acts are marked with impure motives. And we come to him and we go, I need you to save me from the good stuff. And here's Jesus going, listen, listen, listen. Do not be a deceived pilgrim that thinks it's about these things. And Lord, Lord, and I did it in your name. He's going, but did you know me? Did I know you? This is a sobering passage that calls for a decision. It calls for discernment. A willingness to ask the hard questions of your own heart and life. Jesus loves us enough to get to the end and wave the flag. You'll go, listen, don't miss this because there are two paths and one is careening toward your destruction. And I've purchased one for you. One that, that comes by way of me. Did you hear how bold Jesus is? Did you hear him in verse 22? He says, on that day, many will say to me, what is that day? That day is stock terminology in the scriptures for the judgment day. Jesus is saying, on the judgment day, everyone is going to be answering to me. Can you imagine? Homeless carpenter's son standing and proclaiming, there will be a day where everyone has to answer for the whole of their lives before God, and it will be my opinion and my opinion alone that matters. So bold, but what he is saying is this. The path is as narrow as Jesus. It's, path, it's, it's like a, a wedding aisle that leads to the groom where he's saying, will you come to me and say I do because as you enter through this stable, like can you imagine the, the straight way that Jesus took from the expanse of his eternal glory to becoming a little baby in a stable, in a manger? And not just that, but to death itself. Talk about being wedged into the constricted place. But he went to the narrow way, the hard path, so that through that we could experience the expanse of God's love. The view from the inside is very different from the outside. When we taste the love of God, we go, it is expansive from within. But the invitation is, will you come and proclaim, I do. I do. You see, we started with heaven and we finished with heaven in Jesus' sermon. He brings us to this point of decision and he's saying, there is a fork in the road. Do not miss it. Do not miss it. Let me pray for us.